0: Welcome to the Overdrive Radio Podcast. I'm Todd Dills and today we're changing things up from a little, a little bit from our usual focus on a specific owner-operator story, or a particular business topic, to share the full audio from an interview with new FMCSA administrator Ray Martinez that was conducted at the Mid-American Trucking Show in March just before Martinez Matt's second day listening session. In that listening session, of course, regular readers may well recall, Martinez ran into the buzz of criticism of his agency and, particularly, the hours of service rule and ELD mandate. Overdrive's interview regular readers of OverdriveOnline.com have no doubt seen a bit of coverage from, including some excerpts and video out there. It ranged across a bevy of issues and, particularly, probed Martinez's willingness to engage with the grassroots in trucking, owner operators, and drivers. I think, though, hearing the full audio will be valuable for listeners. Overdrive News Editor James Gillette and TruckersNews.com Editor David Hollis, who conducted the interview, thought so too. And I got on the horn with both the editors yesterday, Wednesday, April fifth, April twenty fifth, excuse me, to talk to through some of their general impressions of Martinez, with a particular focus ultimately on his engagement on hours of service change. As you'll hear, given the news yesterday of an Arkansas representatives proposed amendment to the, FF, the FAA reauthorization bill. The amendment intended to allow FMCSA to skip an early regulatory step in any hours of service related rulemaking, thus potentially greasing the skids a bit for change. My gut tells me to take the administrator at his word in this interview as he tells Hollis and Gillette that FMCSA can potentially be an advocate, even, for necessary change to Congress from the industry. The once, however, owner-operators who hope for hours change directly through FMCSA might be a little disheartened to learn that when I contacted Arkansas Rep. Rick Crawford's office this morning about his amendment, looking for background on whether he worked with FMCSA directly to craft it. A rep in his uh, another representative in his office said he was notified Crawford would be pulling the amendment just several minutes before we spoke. So keep that in mind during that portion of our discussion in the podcast talk that follows, and keep tuned to overdriveonline.com for further information on the amendment status in the coming days. To start, here's both editors' general impression of the new Administrator Martinez. First voice you hear is that of David Hollis, who you can find via truckersnews.com. dot com. My colleague James Gillette follows Hollis. Here's Hollis.
1: I was pleasantly uh, surprised. I thought that it was pretty uh, gutsy of him to show up at a place like Matt's for his first kind of outing amongst the trucking community. Uh, I thought he he seemed composed. He seemed of good humor. Um, I didn't think he was the most prepared uh bureaucrat i've ever seen on the planet but i thought he did pretty well for what he was asked to do um and i think that he kind of conveyed that he was open and willing to listen
2: I second david's comment there about he seemed like one of his main missions as administrator would be to have an ear to the ground of the industry so to speak um he didn't seem Overly arrogant about his role as a as a uh, a top bureaucrat uh, in the executive branch, he he um he overall he was a really nice guy. Uh, he seemed very personable. He seemed very eager to want to enact uh you know positive change for the industry, uh, and 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 he seemed to have a handle on the diversity within the industry in terms of interests and opinions and, and duties. And I, uh, he seemed a little less formal than administrators past, uh, particularly uh, Anne Farrow. But uh, he, overall, he seemed like a really nice guy and, and he was very fresh at his job when we spoke to him. And so he, he admitted that he didn't have all the information that he would like to have had uh, regarding some of the industry's key. Um, issues, but he seemed like he was very eager and willing to learn what those opinions and what those issues are.
3: Yeah, and I, th- and I think that comes through. Um, you know, when I was listening back through uh, the conversation that you guys had with him, uh, and you know, it, I, I do hear something from him though that uh, that we have, uh, of course, heard before, um, and particularly uh, when Farrow came in uh, early on. About the sort of willingness to listen uh, and uh you know to sort of hear uh hear the you know the, the, the real concerns from from not only established associations but uh, sort of grassroots groups and uh you know individual uh, industry participants uh operators and drivers out there uh, largest number of course being being uh them uh, in the trucking industry and uh, i wonder I wonder what do you guys think about um you know, the, uh, the sort of genuine uh, nature of that, or, or not so genuine, uh, coming from Martinez at this point. I know he's been in, it's been very, very short time in, in office, but you have, in my view, uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and put this out there, and may, maybe uh, maybe you guys can agree or disagree. In my view, there, there does seem to be a little bit of a difference uh, here uh, than in years past, because we're, we're seeing uh we come to it at a at a unique time i guess you, you you've got uh grassroots voices uh, louder than um they've really ever been in my time in trucking uh as a result of the eld mandate in particular uh on the on the owner operator side and among a lot of company drivers as well um but it, it, i have I have at least seen you know uh something of a of a new willingness over the past uh couple of months here uh for uh, regulators uh, at their offices in d c to take meetings with uh, with drivers uh who show up uh and, and and you know it does seem there's something a little different there well
1: personally i think that he he may he may be You know, he may look back and and say to himself, be careful what you wish for, Uh, because he comes in at a very, very uh, interesting time in the industry where you have such diverse uh, voices. I mean, extreme from the large fleets, organizations like ATA, and then you have this groundswell on the other side of owner-operators, and it's, you know, coalesced around, the anti-ELD movement, and both are equally loud, both are equally adamant adamant about being heard, and they they are about as diametrically opposed as they can be. So I think he's going to be right, if anybody's going to be in the middle of that conversation, it's going to be him.
3: Those those two groups that you mentioned, David, are are definitely diametrically opposed when it comes to uh, uh, mandated ELDs, but... I wonder if there's ways to uh, thread the needle between them and i and I suspect that perhaps uh, one of those ways is with some uh, you know sensible uh, hours of service reform that uh, that folks can agree on and I'm noticing today there's news that uh, James covered some of the amendments that are coming up for vote on the house uh, House floor with with the Federal Aviation administration reauthorization bill that uh, they're working through there. Um, uh, James do you do you see uh, detail a little bit for me that this um, this this amendment uh, I think brought by a, a congressman in Arkansas um, that that seems to sort of grease the skids a little bit for uh, some hours reform and I, I mean I'm wondering uh, I'm wondering if uh, if that's the direct result of some of the kind of advocacy he talked about with you guys as uh, being a uh, that Martinez talked about with you guys about being a sort of a voice for uh, for the industry with Congress.
2: Yeah, you know, obviously we, we don't know where Crawford's amendment originated. Uh, and as I mentioned at the top, Crawford's office says he planned to pull the amendment as of
0: this morning, Thursday, April 26th. Offering only that, the rep I spoke to there said he wasn't sure just why as yet. Here's Gillette
2: continuing speaking
0: about Administrator Martinez.
2: Martinez did mention when he when he sat down with us at Mid America that he had already spoken with ATA and OIDA about hours of service reform and had heard uh proposals from both or at least ideas from both on ways that hours of service could could uh better fit the industry which it regulates. Uh and so as far as low-hanging fruit is concerned, in trying to garner as much industry support from a regulatory body, as 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 he could, I, I think hours of service would be a good place to start working in terms of uh, regulatory reforms because uh, it's it's while while uh, fleets, big fleets, and and owner operators may disagree on uh, the electronic logging device mandate, they do have uh, some sort of agreement that hours of service reforms need to happen. Uh, that they're uh, that the current hours of service rule is a little long in the tooth, particularly in its its ability to accommodate the diverse schedules of truck drivers and fleets. So I think that whether the Crawford Amendment came from FMCSA or or just came from elsewhere, um, it seems like that it, it could enable the, uh, the agency to more quickly uh, work in an hours of service rule that um, at least institute small changes, if not uh, more broader changes.
3: And just you know, just to be clear, I'll I'll say it uh, I'll say that the uh, uh, that Crawford member that we're talking about that's Rick Crawford, I believe, is rep in, in Arkansas, and what it would do would be to allow FNCC to, to skip the advanced notice of proposed rulemaking uh sort of pre rule stage uh in, in, in proposing any uh, hours of service reform, correct?
2: Yeah, so I did a little digging uh, when I was working on that story, and and basically federal law requires uh, FMCSA specifically, and I'm sure it requires other agencies as well, but there are federal laws directly that dictate trucking regulations that say whenever FMCSA begins working on a rule that could have uh, broad industry impact, um, that it must uh, use the advance notice of proposed rulemaking stage, which is basically kind of a fact-finding mission of sorts where the agency solicits feedback from industry stakeholders and holds listening sessions and uh, solicits online uh, uh, comments through the the formal uh, regulations.gov rulemaking portal. And that process could take at minimum several months, uh, you know, but could last could take as long as uh, a year or two, depending on how long the White House takes to approve the agency's proposal and then how long the actual, uh, uh, you know, data gathering phase lasts. I mean, a minimum, that would be 60 days, but it probably would be more like 90 days or even longer, particularly if you factor in the listening sessions and things. So by allowing FMCSA to skip that phase, it at least knocks, I would guess, about six months, if not much longer, off of uh, any efforts to uh reform hours of service so if if martinez is truly intent on trying to enact some type of uh, some type of hours of service reform this could uh allow him to operate more quickly especially um if he only has you know one term under president trump uh, not not getting into politics here but um he could he could move pretty quickly and try to get something done before the next presidential election if if this uh amendment comes to fruition <laughs>
1: If if he really wants to deliver a win, I mean that would be some, that would be a, a a big win for him to do, and it would be a win for uh, Secretary Chow as well as the president if he was able to kind of like you said thread that needle and help kind of broker the possibility of hours of service reform. I mean that would be a a, a huge win early on for him. And let's face it, he, he understands how things work. He, he doesn't come from like a legal background like, you know, the previous administrator. He, he comes from a, a bureaucratic background. He knows how government works and what, what makes government work. So I think that's a possibility. And he said that. He said that he, that hours of service deserved a, a, a revisit.
2: Yeah, and I think he'd be, he'd be a much applauded administrator of FMCSA um, if he was able to somehow achieve uh, hours of service reform that the industry likes or that the industry thinks is at least moving in the right direction. So, um, you know, if, if, he, if you take him at his word when he talked to us, which was that he intended to listen to the industry on this issue specifically um, and try to try to make inroads there, then yeah, like David said, it could be a big win for him. He
3: certainly heard uh, he heard from uh, a lot of folks outside of uh, of the agency who he talked to before Matts uh, at Matts. <laughs> uh, I mean, outside of the associations, I should say, and uh, as we've uh, reported on, of course. And let's uh, let's keep that in mind uh, as we uh, run. I'll keep we we'll keep that in mind as we run through uh, through the conversation together. I want to thank you thank you guys for. Uh, for, for coming on and talking uh, talking about this with me and um, and that should do it. Any, any any final thoughts? I would
1: say this, Todd. Um, I think that he is a probably a pretty savvy operator, and if he does nothing more than to broker what gets done between two very diverse sides. And is able to even advance the ball a little bit down the field. He's been successful.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think that uh, in years past, uh, that the industry, particularly uh, overdrive readers um, and, and you know owner operators and, and drivers, feel that uh, FMCSA was um, somehow against them or was was needlessly seeking regulation or just didn't listen to the the concerns of. Of the industry that it that regulated, and it seemed in our brief discussion with uh, Administrator Martinez that he doesn't want the industry to feel that way this go around. That he really wants, um, he really wants to feel like, or he wants to make the industry feel like it's heard, particularly those who uh, feel like they don't have a voice in the industry, uh, such as the smaller players like owner operators and drivers. And so, uh, it obviously remains to be seen whether whether that's the case or not, but. Um, at least that, that seems like that's his mission.
0: You'll hear a lot about that in the interviews audio that follows. Keep in mind, Hollis and Gillette were talking on Thursday at Matt's with Martinez, the first day of the show. That was before his Friday listening session and also before the hours of service seminar that ran a little off the rails on Saturday. Martinez starts with a little background here on his prior work as DMV commissioner in New York and New Jersey.
4: It's interesting. It's an interesting job being the Motor Vehicle Commissioner. Nobody sends you roses and uh, and balloons, you know. They're, it's
2: what kind of what kind of work does that entail?
4: Well, you know, it's it's everything. It depends because every state's a little bit different. Um, you know, obviously, it's the what everybody assumes you you run the Motor Vehicle Office. Right. <laughs> you collect a lot of money for the state, which is an open secret. You know, you you collect a lot of money for the state, but you don't get to keep it so like in new jersey i can, I, I collected uh, you know 1.2 billion a year and I, my budget was about 330 million uh the rest of it i can't tell you no it goes into the general fund right but you know it's everybody think it's a money maker it's one of the few areas in government that's
2: <clears throat> you know
4: a moneymaker. but and and the uh, the goal is always to try and make the customer service better um, but uh, so there's, it's an aspect of how much better can you make a taxi a taxing agency because that's what we were essentially doing, you know. Um, so but
2: what, what is your uh, what is your background? And you mentioned trucking. Yeah. Um, what, what was your prior background? In, uh, you know, regarding trucking or buses. Yeah. Or so in,
4: in New York, we uh, you know we did a lot of uh, work with the uh, state trucking association. Uh, you know, because there's always some kind of overlap with motor vehicle regulation. Okay, trucking regulation, uh, um, and uh, I mean something is. Uh, simple as uh you know uh this again i'm going back to 2000 but uh creating uh, the databases that would allow companies to keep track of drivers and incident uh incident now that, that now it's pretty common but back then it wasn't you know that you would be able to get immediate notification of you know something happening with a driver's driving record um in in new jersey um Again, it's different in every state. In New Jersey, we did more, we work with the State Trucking Association, but also with the busing, the bus side, because our folks did um, the road, uh, the inspections uh, on, um, you know, when they drop off their passengers. And um, so it's it's an interesting area, you know, it's not, uh, not, probably not as close as the DOT side or the state police side, but um, uh, enough exposure to to uh, To know about it and uh, and built up a good reputation with with both of the um, in both states because uh, you know my door was always open I tried to just come on in let's talk about whatever your issue is you know Um, so on
1: that on that topic Um, what kind of you know with an open door what kind of issues do you think truck drivers and state associations and national associations are going to de- right. deliver to your front door. Well,
4: I'll tell you what, in just I've only been on the job for 4 weeks and obviously, you know, we we've, we've got a big issue with ELDs, uh, particularly with the ag uh, the ag community has been particularly vocal. And this is one of those situations where that's part of the job is making sure that the door is open, come on in, let's hear what you have to say and and understanding that there are specific issues two specific areas in the trucking industry so that's why I could say that you know there is it's tough to say that there's unanimity of opinion even in the industry right uh, on something like ELDs I was with a company the other day that has been using them since the 2000s right um, and it's part of their business practice they have no issues um, that's not to say that they want any further government intervention or intrusion into their, the way they run their, their business. Uh, but a lot of uh, issues with regard to the, that I'm still getting with regard to hours of service, which is the underlying driver here, I think. Um, and I think it's something that we want to talk about. Uh, for a lot, what I've seen is that people beat around the bush, but why not have the conversation? Um,
2: Do you see, under your direction, the agency um, taking action on truly evaluating hours of service regulations and whether they're a good fit for the industry, particularly one as the versus trucking? Um, I know you've only been on the job a month, and so maybe haven't had much time to examine that, but, um, you know, there is the the split sleeper berth study in the works. I mean, do you see any any reforms of hours of service under your watch? Um, I
4: think what you're going to get, what you're going to hear from us is that we are really interested in what uh, what the industry has to say, and I've had conversations with Hawaida um, and the ATA. Uh, I I see this being here at Mats, and it's my first Mats. I'm really excited to be here uh, to actually hear from folks more grassroots uh, in the industry and to have a conversation. Now, number one, we're gonna we're gonna bring our experts uh, to say push out information. To maybe dispel some of the miscommunication that's been out there on on a, a, a variety of issues, but also it's it's a two-way conversation. I want to hear because there are, are really good suggestions that I've already uh, heard over the last few weeks that I want to hear uh, more and see that if there's something that we can do uh, uh, either within the existing regulations or do we look at changing regs. Um, so. We're not there yet. I think we're still in an aggressive listening phase. Okay. Um, there,
1: the, on that topic, there seems to be two sides to the question. You had mentioned ATA and mm-hmm. OOIDA. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that has come up is, like, the folks who are walking the, the show floor here at Matt's, the truckers, the mm-hmm. independents, the individual, men mm-hmm. and women who drive what do you want to say to them about ours and service?
4: Well, the first thing I'd like to say is is clarify exactly what the existing rules are, because we found that there is a little bit still confusion out there, and we'll take responsibility for that because I think that uh, part of it is making sure that we're clearly. Communicating what are the rules out there? What are the current existing uh, exemptions or latitude that they that they may have, depending on their industry, depending on what their uh, you know, driving patterns are, if you will, um, and making sure that it 's clear because I, we were just talking to some folks from North Carolina just on the way over here walking over here, and you know we were telling them well here 's some of the exemptions that you currently would be avail uh, could avail yourself of what, what I'm trying to avoid is <clears throat> and I know that you know probably in past years there was a lot of you know tension and and people were not happy I understand that uh, I'm new on, in this job I've got very clear direction from uh, both uh, from the White House and from the secretary that we are to listen to be receptive and to uh, to see if there are ideas that we can incorporate whether it's under existing regs, or to look at whether any changes might be necessary.
2: What are some of the, you mentioned some issues regarding miscommunication uh, to the industry about what the hours of service regulations are. Do you have any specifics on that of, of things that you've heard that you think are incorrect regarding hours of service from the industry?
4: Well, I think, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to go into specifics, but I think that that's something that we're going to push out, um, you know, tomorrow. Uh, and because we have heard some confusion, and, you know, Joe, Joe runs out from our office, he seems to, he, he gets all of this, you know, uh, and he, he's probably had the same conversation, you know, a hundred times trying to, to say, well, no, you do have some latitude here. You do have, ha- ha-, but that doesn't mean, and I don't want to uh, say that this is a panacea or that, you know, everything is fine because that's clearly not the case. Uh, we we know that, that there's still some... Um, Tension out there, uh, and uh, we want to to say very spell out very clearly what the rules are, and hear what the possible suggestions might be. Um, now, what I what I started to say is, in the past years, I understand there was some you know kind of heated conversations. I find that it, you know that doesn't get us anywhere. It doesn't go from you know if uh, telling us ELDs are terrible or hours of service are terrible. Um, doesn't really help me as a regulator, because that's my job. I'm a regulator. I don't make law. I make regulation when I, when I can. And uh, there's a whole process for that. Uh, so what, we, uh, what we're hoping to hear is good dialogue. Come to the table and say, here's where we think the, you know, uh, the FMCSA could be helpful. And by the way, maybe it's not. Maybe it's not even having to do with uh, hours of service or ELDs. There's a big issue there with with okay. Let's say we want to abide by the by the rules as they exist. Where do we do it? There's no place for the trucks to pull over. You know, I mean that's something that maybe is a, a conversation as, as part of the whole infrastructure plan. Sure. Um, regarding so, parking, yeah, with regarding parking.
2: Um, last year, the agency. Um, tabled two proposed rules that were issued uh, under the Obama administration, uh, one on uh, sleep apnea screening. Criteria and and testing criteria for truck operators, and and the other would uh, be the speed limiter mandate. Mm -hmm. And both of those, at least the speed limiter mandate, seemingly had a lot of momentum under the Obama administration. Uh, Do you foresee either one of those rules being taken back up uh, while you're the administrator?
4: Um, It's difficult to say with with four weeks on the job. I can tell you that I have not, in the four weeks I've been here, I have not met on those specific issues. I know it was a hot topic, uh, and there was there was some blowback. Uh, uh, on the issue um, I think that uh, both uh, the FMCSA and the Federal Railroad Administration obviously are concerned about any health issues that would impact on operators' ability to safely operate, um, whether it's fatigue or whether it's a medical condition, uh, and I think that you know, that, that uh, is always going to be a concern, but um, I do, uh, I'm, I'm frankly not, I have not been briefed yet on that and whether there's there's yet another review sure. coming up
1: Now, on the topic of regulations I know that the president said it was a two-for-one thing yeah you're gonna do one you got to take away two right um, are there any regulations now that are kind of in the poised in the pipeline let's say that you want to move forward but you've got to look at the two to Ourselves. Well, um, Anything on the, on that first of all, that
4: is a very real uh, directive from the White House. I can tell you that it's reached, it reaches every one of our modes at uh, uh, at DOT, and it's an active. Uh, just even coming over here today, we there is a committee comprised of all of the uh, modes within DOT that is uh, specifically targeted to uh, taking up where can we. Uh, look at regulations that need uh, either elimination or change, and certainly before you start talking about new regs let 's talk about some of the old regs that uh, that uh, that either need to be jettisoned or or, or updated um, and this is an opportunity being here at mats where that 's exactly what we 're going to be talking about you know if the if the industry comes and says you know we don 't understand." Uh, even aside from ELD and hours of service on any of the other uh, areas where we we and I say in our partners our state partners uh, You know you you're being inefficient in your enforcement Okay, or incorrect in your enforcement. Well, that's what we need to we need to hear that um, Because I only have 1,100 people at the FMCSA. It's not a big agency uh, Of course, we have a force multiplier with our state partners, <clears throat> but we don't have the bandwidth to be inefficient in enforcement. Um, The other thing I I tell, and I know this is a little uh, off your question, I'll circle back to it, but the, uh, uh, we always say safety is our priority at DOT and at the FMCSA, but um, we don't have a monopoly on it, okay? We know that there's great operators uh, out there, whether they're smaller, or whether they're large, that have great traffic, great safety records, um, and that's what I want to hear from. You know, uh, how can we do our job smarter? Uh, because I just don't have the horses to, uh, to do inefficient enforcement. Um, so that may be an area that, that we would look at, certainly in terms of re- any regulation change. I can tell you that there are things I don't want to, I can't go into specifics, although we may tomorrow at the hearing, at the, hearing, uh, at the um, uh, in our presentation at 1.30, I'm gonna promise you that my remarks are gonna be short and my ears are gonna be open. Uh, So it's gonna be a lot more listening than than speaking. But we're gonna be talking about some areas where we're looking at at regulation and change.
2: Um, I've got a two part question. Uh, One, um, why do you see yourself as a good fit to lead the federal government's uh, trucking and bus regulatory body? And, Mm -hmm. And the second is, Um, What can we expect as far as direction of the agency with you at the helm?
4: Uh, So uh, my background that's relevant to this uh, position is I I did serve as the uh, motor vehicle commissioner and head of highway traffic safety in the state of New York um, and also uh, as commissioner of motor vehicles in the state of New Jersey. Uh, In both of those positions, I did have extensive dealings with our state uh, level uh, associations, uh, trucking associations, and also with the FMCSA and NHTSA, our federal partners, uh, as well as state police. Obviously, um, uh, what I, I learned a lot in both areas. I got a thick skin because the motor vehicle commissioner doesn't get a lot of love out there, and I I, uh, I think some of that translates to being to working at the FMCSA. It's not an easy position, but it is one that you have to approach. Uh, with with open ears and and let the associations that we deal with but also the folks that are in the industry whether they are members of the associations or not that we are actually listening we're trying to be helpful and while we may not be go be able to go 100 yards uh, you know to, to to get the goal we we can make progress and um, uh, I think under the president and under the secretary, uh, we are poised to do that. I'm also hoping that we can have some uh, conversations about infrastructure because, you know, now we're, that's, that's kind of the front burner issue and, and see how the industry might uh, have some input on, on that. Okay.
1: I was, your focus is safety. How mm-hmm. important is the infrastructure to safety when you, when you have drivers who say they have to park on the ramps or the side of the road because they run out of hours. How do you kind of balance those two things, and what role does infrastructure play in that?
4: Right. Uh, well, first of all, the uh, I think the president's made clear, and the secretary always starts her remarks by saying safety is our primary mission for all of our modes, because the, the public that uh that is out there whether they're taking they're on a uh, ship whether they're on a train whether they're on a plane or uh, they're sharing the road with with uh, trucks uh, and buses Uh, they expect that somebody is doing this job about monitoring safety they don't know who it is a lot of people and i'll tell you i had to explain to my family that i was i was said i'm going to the fmcsa and they were like what (laughs) what is that that's okay, I understand, I, because it's the end, I've, I've dealt with them for so many years, but um, it's, it is because the public expects that somebody's doing that job, that's our job. Um, and uh, I, uh, it is, uh, when it comes to infrastructure, we have a unique opportunity here to, uh, uh, anywhere you live in the United States, you see the effect of delayed um, uh, maintenance, delayed improvements on infrastructure I come from an urban area in New York and in uh, and uh, and in New Jersey and literally roads are crumbling uh, and uh, that needs to be addressed the president has specifically mentioned um, uh, that this infrastructure plan needs to focus in as well on rural America and that I think directly speaks to uh, to uh, uh, trucking okay uh, what what condition are the roads in uh, are there places for uh, uh, truck drivers to to rest if we're going to tell them they got to rest where can they safely uh, do that um, what are the uh, you know we are also in changing times right I don't have to tell you with the whole discussion about automated vehicles and all that um, that's people get all excited that there's going to be you know self-driving everything I get excited about the 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 steps that are involved. I'm not worried about self-driving vehicles right now. I'm more interested in all the gradual improvements in automation that are helping truck drivers today, okay, that are making them safer, making their jobs easier and safer. Uh, And if it makes their jobs easier and safer, that means it makes it safer for everybody else that's sharing the road. So uh, I think that's all tied in to infrastructure. We'll see how it all plays out, but I can tell you that uh, the DOT is going to have a significant voice uh, in that. Not just the FMCSA, but obviously Federal Highway as well.
2: I know that equipment regulatory issues are mostly handled by NHTSA, not FMCSA. Mm-hmm. Um, but what role do you see the agency playing in the advancement and deployment of automated uh, vehicles
4: particularly trucks. Uh, and I will say this uh, we uh, that that is a, there is a bit of a misconception out there NHTSA is certainly uh, has a primary role uh, but um, all of the modes are engaged in this conversation and FMCSA is directly involved in this and as I, it, again it is not just because of the idea of fully automated vehicles it's to to have conversations about what is happening on a gradual basis um, uh, in terms of the development of technology that are making trucks safer. Um, and yes, there is that the conversation about fully automated uh, trucks. I've seen them. It's, it's fascinating uh, to see. Um, I think we're a ways away yet. Um, but as a government agency, I don't have to tell anybody that's listening uh, or that's here attending mats that government sometimes moves uh, a lot slower than industry. That's not a, a, a. That's not an earth-shattering news to anybody. We don't have that luxury right now, because technology is moving so fast that we have to be focused on to know what's happening and to be prepared to to move with that. So one of the things that we've been directed to do is to review all of the regulations uh, that we have and say how would we, what would we have to do, should. Uh, these grades of of automation uh, come in the next three years, four years, ten years. What, at least look at it so that we're not caught flat footed.
1: How are you going to figure out if you're successful in your new position? What's it going to look like when you know when we, the three of us sit down again here a year from now at Mass? So and what's going to have happened?
4: Uh, the first thing, uh, and I you know I do know some of the former. Um, uh, FMCSA administrators, Ann Farrow, was a good friend of mine, John Hill uh, as well, and I don't mean to leave uh, anybody out, but you know, there's there's some that I had dealt with on on a regular basis. Um, one of the things that I brought to the table as a motor vehicle commissioner in both New York and New Jersey was to to be very aggressive about uh, having my door open and and having conversations that maybe haven't been had before. Um, uh, whether it's something like hours of service or making sure that everybody understands what ELD is and saying, look, it's the law, here's what we can do and here's what we can't do. But I would look back in a year uh, and say, if, if, if the people in this industry say, he's listening to us, he's receptive, he's trying to make changes that are, uh, that are effective, and I don't, as I said, I don't expect to, maybe I won't get a touchdown in the first year. But I'd like to really move the ball forward down, down the field. Um, and I, I'd like to be able to come back to Matt's next year and have people say, we, we, we see a change. We see that your field officers are being more receptive. They understand that industry is not the enemy, that the approach from FMCSA is not all punitive. A lot of it needs to be outreach and education rather than writing violations. Uh, I think that helps everybody. Because the ultimate goal is safety, improving safety, and as I said before, uh, it's our top priority, but it's not a monopoly, okay? And I think that industry shares shares that, the good actors. And I'll, I'll say this also, uh, I'm a believer in associations. I'm a believer in active uh, folks that are active in their industry, even if they're not a member of an association, because that, those tend to be the operators that are engaged, that know what the laws are, that know what the rules are, and that also know who are the ones that are cutting the corners, that are giving uh, industry a bad name and, and creating safety issues. Uh, so, uh, you know, if in a year I can come back here and, and people say, uh, you know, Ray's been, he's been to multiple states, he's, he's talking to grassroots, uh, and, and he's changing the posture of the agency, then I'll feel that, that we, we've made some progress, and hopefully in three years or in seven years, uh, we'll, we'll really, really, really start to see, see some, some good benefits from that.
2: Speaking of, uh, you mentioned the, you sort of the bad actors in the industry that mm-hmm. uh, create safety issues. Um, you know, the, the Compliance Safety Accountability Program was sort of scaled back a little bit by Congress a couple years ago, mm-hmm. there's some underlying uh, concerns over the quality of data. Right computation and that type of thing, and um, in, in your Senate hearing uh, last year you mentioned uh, trying to bring data-driven reforms not only to the agency but specifically to the CSA program. Yeah. Um, what type of reforms at all do you see coming for CSA, uh, particularly in light of the study that uh, that the uh, National Academies of Science right.
4: uh, c- uh, concluded? So on? that's still a, a work in progress, sure. um, but what I said at, the, at my confirmation hearing remains true and it speaks to the other thing that I said before about I don't you know I have only 1100 people and I've got partners who uh, in the states who also have limited resources that's another way that we become smarter uh, is is use being a a more data-driven agency that's more focused on the bad actors Um, and I think that the other thing that 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 helps with is with the good actors, the, um, who then can say we get it. See, they're they are they're not focusing on us so much. They're being able to kind of slice a little bit and go after the the bad actors. Now, I can't uh, uh, speak to you right now because it is a work in progress. But that's the goal: is is how do we work smarter rather than just casting the wide net? I mean, to a certain extent, we all you know, it's like the police officers on the side of the road. They're going to stop. At some point, they're going to stop everybody. But you know where they end up? They end up working uh, areas of where they know they're going to have high violations, where people are clearly breaking the law. Or they're going to uh, look for persistent violators. Um, and that's the type of thing that, that we would want to focus in on.
2: Okay, so no specifics as far as, you know, because that was the whole intent of CSA, was right. try to use data to weed out bad actors. and, and, and But it's, it's a, that's
4: a work in progress. I'm, we're, not, we're just not ready to, to, sure. to, to talk about that yet, but we can talk about that tomorrow. Okay. Uh, you know, with a, with a little bit more uh, more depth about, you know, where, where we're going. We just don't have a fully, that cake's not fully fully baked yet. But we're still moving in that direction for for a lot of different reasons. I think it, you know, again, it's for, for, for our benefit, but I with regard to the industry i think uh it helps build our credibility with the industry if that's the way we're working because if you're looking at data and everybody agrees on the data then you can move to the next step of you know yeah we we get it okay. so
1: you, you, have, you you've mentioned a couple of times about your relationships with, with associations that mm-hmm. are very important how do you how do you take that down to the next level to the folks who may not be in an association, the, Right. all the small uh, organizations, the small companies, the individual owner-operators. Sure. How do you get that message, and how do you connect with them?
4: Well, I'll tell you um, one of the things that, uh, first of all, some of them, even if they're not members of associations, when they feel put upon, they're, they figure out the phone number for their congressman or their senator, so I, I get it and i 've got a list of of, of congressmen and sen- congress, uh, men and women and senators uh, that uh, I am speaking have spoken with and will be speaking with in the coming weeks just to let them know what, what we 're doing um, but as I said, I am a believer in associations because i can 't I don't have the ability to speak to every truck driver and every uh, owner-operator or every owner of a business out there. Um, It's just not possible. Um, But uh, I do tell our our folks in the field that they need to reach out through whatever avenues they can. And that means through state associations and getting the word out to, you know, through whatever uh, communications means. Because sometimes we think if we, the government, you know, if they put out a press release, well. We put out a press release, didn't everybody read it? Well, that's not true. If you, if sometimes if you, if you pick up, put out the press release, do an education forum, partner with a state association, uh, uh, whether it's, you know, uh, a state asso- trucking association or the, the, the other groups, whether it's the, the, the livestock haulers, you know, a subgroup, and, and really get out there. And I've had some meetings uh, in that regard and boy I tell you what in four weeks I've learned a lot about some of the very specific areas uh, subgroups uh, in trucking that are that uh, uh, this is going to be an interesting couple of years for me and I'm looking forward to it you know because uh, listen at the end of the day um, uh, we're doing this uh, I'm doing this because I, I believe uh, that I can make a difference if I if I, I wouldn't be doing it it's, you don't get into government to, to make a million dollars not in this business. Not a, as FMCSA administrator. Uh, and I, uh, I, I, I like to come to, to an order to a, a conference like this and put the mystery aside. Here's what we do. Here's why we do it. Um, it's pretty clear. And then listen to what the industry has to say. And I'm hoping for some good conversation. About it.